Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founders of Alaya Skin, Manny Barvis and James Hashem. Within one week of launching Alaya Skin, the brand hit the $50,000 revenue mark. That figure grew to $1 million in four months, and at the time of recording, the Elias Skin founders had made over $7 million. James and Manny are both in their early 20s, and while they consider themselves to be yin and yang, what they have in common is an unbelievably advanced understanding of how to run a business. They developed the idea for Elias Skin by spending time analysing global trends, looking closely at social media and establishing a list of the criteria that almost guarantees a product will sell. From there, they manually databased and reached out to almost every single chemist, beauty retailer and influencer in Australia. And almost immediately on launch, Elias Skin's now cult pink clay mask went viral. Today, over $7 million, three products and less than two years later, Manny and James are acutely aware of the advantages of still being a relatively small, digitally native business, and they know how to play to those strengths. I am still blown away by just how generous both Manny and James were with their knowledge of business management in this interview, and that generosity has made this episode a must-listen for anyone looking to found a brand in just about any category. I caught up with the duo behind Elias Skin at Melbourne's QT Hotel to discuss their launch strategy, their tried and tested checklist for building a successful brand, and how they used social media to get the attention of bricks and mortar stockists. Okay, so you guys met each other when you were in high school. Is it safe to say that when you were teenagers, you did not expect that you'd end up working in beauty? Definitely not. I never had that train of thought. Yeah, neither did I, to be honest with you. What did you think you were going to be? I thought I was going to be a brain surgeon. But somehow uh, things changed and I ended up making pink clay masks <laughs> with my best mate James. <laughs> I always thought I would be an entrepreneur in some sort of business, for sure. Yeah. That was what I dreamed of from when I was young, when I was 12. Yeah, so you knew. Yeah. You knew from day one. Before you started a liar... You owned, between the two of you, a teeth whitening company and a number of cafes. But what did you do immediately post high school? Like, did you study or did you go straight into, you know, entrepreneurship? Uh, so I went straight into economics and finance, RMIT. Mm-hmm. Um, and we bought our, our, my family bought our first cafe six months after school. Mm-hmm. And at one point I thought, you know, I do enjoy this. I enjoy hospitality. But then as soon as I graduated, I realized I didn't want to be in hospitality yeah. Any longer, yeah. Yeah, so with me, I finished school and I never really wanted to go to uni because I always had my eyes set on, on business. So mm-hmm. I started my first business when I was in year 12. But I started marketing and management um, mm-hmm. at Monash. Um, and every class I went to, I was working on my own business. So after the first year, I sort of just thought, look, it's not for me. And I dropped out of uni and... It's probably the best decision I ever made, to be honest, because it just allowed me to take my business to the next level at the time. How do you start a business in year 12? Um, well, what I used to do is I used to import iPhone charging cases from China. So they're yeah. like battery battery uh, cases that charge your iPhone. 
and I used to sell them out of my locker. So I used to buy boxes of them and then... Bootlegging phone yeah, cases. Yeah, I, I was bootlegging phone cases. <laughs> I even had teachers coming up to me and buying them. And then one day I just thought, well, well, I may as well put a logo on the back of the case and then set up a website. Um, and then that was my first sort of business. And then after that was a, a watch company that I had first year out of mm-hmm. uni. Um, and then we sold that business and then the teeth whitening was next and now James and I have started the live skin. They say that you shouldn't enter into business with your friends. I've heard mixed reviews through doing this podcast. So what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of working with someone you've known outside of work for such a long time? I don't think there's been a disadvantage yet. Touch wood. I don't, we, we've, we've become closer. Manny mm-hmm. and I were close in, in year 11 and 12. Once we finished school, you know, he was doing his, uh, he had a business partner in the watch company. So they were very close. They were working mm-hmm. like 12 hours a day. I was studying, um, I had my cafe. And then it was like maybe two years after that is when we became, we like we became close and we started talking more. And then we decided to go into business with each other. And it's because we're kind of like yin and yang. Like we're very similar, but we're very opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also, it also has to do with what our outcomes, like James and I both don't care about money in a way like we care about success and growing together so so what makes me happy is seeing james grow and vice versa yeah whereas if you go into business with someone where you all you're thinking about is money and becoming rich etc it's Mm -hmm. not going to work out yeah i wouldn't say this is just a working relationship like Mm -hmm. really it's way more than that it's we help each other grow in certain parts of our lives and you know manny's taught me a lot in business and i feel like i've taught him a lot in business but i think we've taught each other extremely a lot in like life mm-hmm. and Personal how development yeah and how how my family is and how his family is it's been yeah it's been a crazy journey it's been really good you mentioned being like yin and yang what do you think that each of you brings to the business that the other doesn't so for me i think i'm more well i think manny's definitely more creative mm-hmm. and he's always been uh ex- extremely strong in building brands and content whereas i'm more business i feel as if i'm more business minded Mm -hmm. and that's how we complement each other in terms of overall business um and yeah it's been it's it's worked out perfect yeah james james is good with numbers he's good with growth Mm -hmm. how to grow the business james obviously didn't come from an e-commerce background but he picked it up extremely quickly whereas my skills are in branding and um design that's that sort of stuff so Mm -hmm. We kind of do polar opposites, but at the same time, we kind of complement each other in what we do during work. Like, we don't have very specific roles in mm. what we do, but we both do the same thing. Like yeah, exactly. Kind of, it just works. Yeah, exactly right. It's, like, it's not like we get to work and say, you're going to do this, I'm going to do that. We'll just get to work and then whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. What came first, the idea to go into business together or the idea for the business? The idea for the business. Yeah. No, I want, hold on. So, <laughs> James and I have been wanting to work together for a while. Mm-hmm. Because um, I was actually supposed to go into the teeth whitening with him. Uh-huh. And then Manny was like, you know what? I just had a business partner. Let me let me have, let me do this business on my own. Mm-hmm. And let me see how it is, see if I like it. And I think once he sold that, he was not looking for someone, but I was always in his ear. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I know we, we will do really, really well together. And I know we'll complement each other. And then, yeah, we spoke about it a little bit. And Manny said... You know, we've, we've seen, he's seen uh, clay masks trending. Mm-hmm. And that was when we sat down and said, okay, let's do this smell, this color. And that's when we started the business. Well, I wanted to ask about this because I understand that the initial idea did come from like looking at global trends mm. and really analyzing social. 
when you were trying to identify that trend, were you looking specifically at beauty or did you start quite broad and then hone it in? No, I started, well, when I was looking, this is prior to when I discussed with James, I look, I look broadly. Mm-hmm. So I look for a product that uh, preferably consults females. Yeah. I look for a product that you can show a result, something mm-hmm. that works, and I look for a repeat purchase product. Um, and at the time, I was lucky enough to be scrolling through Instagram and I just saw <clears throat> a lot of girls posting clay masks. Mm-hmm. And then I remember we spoke to James about it and I think we spoke to your sister and she said that a lot of the clay masks, they, they, they didn't smell well or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I think it was my sister. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she hadn't seen any pink ones as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we were like, okay, well, Millennial Pink's one of the you know most popular colors ever. Yeah, and still we, is. Lucky for yeah, you guys. Yeah. And what we noticed was that the, every clay mask, yeah, every clay mask that was on the market, they all smelt like clay. Like even still right now, mm-hmm. all of our competitors, the cl- the mask actually smell. You can smell mm-hmm. the clay. Whereas ours, thick and like ours is rose, so yeah. you can't even smell the clay. And I think that's due to our formulation and how we how mm-hmm. we kind of came up with the ingredients and different percentages. Mm. So you've identified that masking is the space that you want to play in. Where to from there? Because I feel like it's one thing to have this idea, but then how do you go about finding a manufacturer, yeah. packaging, branding, all of that? So just to touch, just to go back a little bit on the masking thing, like our brand isn't a mask brand. So what we're doing now is we're going to expand and we're, we're going a whole skincare line. Amazing. Um, in terms of how do you find manufacturers, we probably went through about 10 manufacturers. It took us about seven months to go through it all. Mm-hmm. I remember the first sample we got, it was like water. Like we, we literally looked at ourselves like, oh crap, is this yeah, going to work? Yeah, really bad. Um, and then yeah, you just gotta you gotta look for a manufacturer that can communicate well with you. Like you don't want to be waiting for two weeks for an email response from them. Mm-hmm. Um, lead time, obviously cost, and just someone that you get along with as well. And that's we we finally found yeah. that person after a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that sort of process took seven months. How long was the process from? conceptualizing a liar through to the products being available to consumers maybe eight to nine months mm-hmm. so it took it took another two months to come up with the name come up with the packaging build the website um to find to find people that we wanted to work with in mm-hmm. terms of who was going to run our facebook ads who was going to run our google ads um and we did, we did a lot of shopping around yeah and you know manny had been in the game for quite a while so i think we're fortunate that he made some mistakes along the way and then he learned from them and mm-hmm. And then we were able to, to choose the right people to work with. So I was going to say eight to nine months sounds like a long time, but it's really not. But I guess because you already had that skill set there. Yeah, I guess it is, but a lot of it's taken... We could have launched it in two months, but we'd, we'd rather do things properly. From yeah, the it's all about the product. And it's also the, lo- the longest. The reason why it took so long for us to launch is because the preparation that we did. So me and James would be in the office for like 10 hours a day sitting there, mm-hmm. databasing female influencers yep. every single day Literally. listening to every song we could possibly think I, of i remember one day we, we went into the office and we uh databased every single pharmacy in australia from yellow oh pages every yeah. single almost it was every the biggest page. nightmare it was the most boring thing ever but at the <laughs> end of it sounds like a torture at, but at the end of it it was like we had five thousand pharmacies or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. we just blast email yeah. every single so day. That's, it was that, crazy. So that's what we did. So when we had the product launch and all, in all these distribution centers, as in the distribution centers send out the orders for us, mm-hmm. we had five to ten thousand influencers ready to send out to. We had five thousand shops ready to, to email once the stock was already out there. We had the Facebook people ready. We we just had everything ready to go. Mm-hmm. So there was no, you know, yeah, back and forth after that. Once we pressed the go button, it was full steam ahead. 
<clears throat> that's such yeah. good advice, like having your ducks in a row before you launch. Mm. Yeah, for sure. The majority of the beauty brand founders that I've spoken to have started their brand having already worked in the beauty industry in some capacity. So how did you go, guys go about sort of immersing yourselves in beauty other than, you know, sitting there for 10 hours at a time? Well, technically I was in like, I, I wouldn't say I was in beauty, but teeth whitening is still a, a beauty it's type linked. of product. It's, yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, you're selling to the same customer. Yeah. It's an 18 to 25, 30 year old female. Um, the manufacturers help you a lot with beauty because they've got chemists that, that work and help you yeah. formulate. Mm. James and I obviously um, did our own research. Like I wouldn't mm. say we're beauty experts yet, but we're quite like you know we know we know a fair. But a lot of people did test now. the product before we yeah. launched. Jimmy. Like I think even now we probably if before we launch a product maybe 30, 40 girls. Um, More, yeah, it's even. a good test group. Yeah, size. just between you know my sister, his sister. Our our mums and then we've got cousins mm-hmm. and then we've got our distributors who give it to all their ambassadors staff we ambassadors to. sometimes mm-hmm. test it so yeah you want to make sure that the, the product is spot on because like 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 anything you need to make sure that mark like marketing can only take you so far like at yeah. the end of the day if the product isn't great then no one's mm-hmm. going to come back and buy you can sell to someone but is are they going to come back and buy because that's where the business starts mm-hmm. to grow that's exactly what i was going to say i was going to say that yeah like once you found the product and it works, mm-hmm. then it, then it comes down to the marketing. Yeah, that, so it's that's the first step. Is the product works, then you market it. Because as James said, if no one comes back back to buy, you're not there's gonna, only so many people that you're, you're not going to have a yeah. long-term business. So. Well, it's even to your point at the start, finding something that people would, you know, repeatedly mm. purchase. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. important. So you mentioned you had chemists helping to formulate, but why pink clay? What does that do for the skin? So pink clay is an anti-inflammatory. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fairly new product. Yeah. Um, it's so our clay has kaolin and bentonite clay, which is good for sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. It's got aloe vera um, and a few other ingredients. But we really wanted a product that was safe for sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. I've got sensitive skin. I used to have bad eczema. My mom has eczema. Um, so they were perfect sort of testing people for our, mm-hmm. our samples when they came out as well. Um, but yeah, that's why we love our masks as well because I'm not sure. Like a lot of other masks, after you use it, I feel like it dries your skin out. But our yes, mask actually, yeah, our mask actually makes your your skin feel like baby bumps. It really like is like a four in one mask. It's a mos- it's a moisturizer in a mask. I feel, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest advantage of the pink clay is what Manny said about the about sensitive skin is that's what so many females email us about mm-hmm. because they're so worried: is it going to dry my skin out? Is it going to give me a rash? And it really just helps so many different skin types yeah i would agree with that i think that's the question that i get more than anything is about irritation yeah so starting off as a digitally native brand you really did harness the power of social to get the word out there what qualities do you think that a product needs to go viral because that's exactly what the mask did and Mm -hmm. continues to do the branding needs to be on point i think the branding needs to be simple enough and eye-catching so that it's easily recognisable, not, not yeah. over-complex. If you look at a lot of the major brands now that are out there, High Smile, for example, like mm-hmm. all these type of brands have a very simple branding. Um, and their branding past- is so consistent as well. Yeah. Throughout yeah. the whole way, through the website, the packaging, their content. Mm. Okay. It's a very useful thing. And I think also, I'm just like spruiking your product for you, I think being a mask because the results are instant. I think that definitely oh, yeah. helps Sorry, with the, it being yeah. like... Oh, the product for sure is yeah. number one. Like, if you can show instant results, then the customer's going to buy and ultimately you're going to be successful. Yeah. Like you need to show the customer what it does. 
and give them a reason to, to purchase it. And the fact that we've been able to complement our mask with other products, yes. the moisturiser, the exfoliator, and hopefully we'll be launching some new products this year, it's been it's been like really um, really great for us because people buy the mask and they realise, oh, you know what, I may as well use their moisturiser, I may as well use their exfoliator, mm. and it all... Because there's already a trust exactly there. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Because I think when I think about my first interaction with the brand, it would have been seeing one of those like sped up videos mm. of them using the mask. Yeah. Mm. And like that works. You can't do that unless it's an instant result. Exactly. So talk me through the influencer strategy because obviously this played a huge part other than sitting there and, you know, you've got your list. Where mm. to from there? So pre-launch, Manny and I thought we were going, like we're going to go... We're going to launch this, but we're going to launch like strong. Mm -hmm. Like We're going to make sure that the first three months, as many people know about our brand as possible, because it's very hard to make someone trust your brand when they're putting something on their face. Like females are very, very strict on what they put on their face. Mm -hmm. So we thought, what can we do to build as much trust as possible besides before and afters of um, customers and influencers? Mm -hmm. So what we did is we launched with 2,000 influencers but we, yeah. Oh my God. So our first our first run was two thousand influencers, but what? But we made sure that it wasn't just a matter of let's database any any girl. It was yeah. let's look at her page. Let's look how real she is. Let's look at her interaction. How many followers does she have? And our biggest advantage was we only sent out to girls between three thousand and ten thousand followers. We ah. sent out to we sent out to mothers. We sent out to pregnant ladies, um, older women because they're people mm-hmm. that other females would trust. Yeah. Whereas someone with 150,000 followers, if they're posting about a product every single week, there's no trust. Completely yeah, to put it simply, it's like me. I've got 2,000 followers on Instagram or a little bit more. If I post a, a product on my page, all my mates are going to be like, well, what the hell is this, man? Like, and they're actually going to look at it. Whereas someone with 150,000 followers who gets paid to, to post all these products, people are just going to scroll through and go, oh, yeah, we know she's been paid for that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we really narrowed down the nano and micro influencers, which I don't think brands take advantage of as much mm-hmm. um, back then. Now mm. we've noticed that they do. Yeah. But that really allowed us to just scale dramatically. And also it allowed us to get um, – we also went city by city. So we went Melbourne. Ah. Let's let's mm. database all the girls in Melbourne. Then let's go to Queensland, database all the girls in Queensland. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much wanted everyone – Every female was in that age bracket in Australia to know what a wire skin was. Yeah. yeah. Just from sending it out in one order. I would estimate that we've sent to more than ten to fifteen thousand micro influencers in the last fifteen months. That's almost a thousand influencers a month. That's yeah. I was Which, about to say that's insane, but it's not. It's very smart. It's like, crazy. And then yeah. so only only now have we started working with the likes of Steph Claire Smith, mm. Chloe Zepp, um, Michael Finch, Emily Hambrad. Only now we've decided to do that to do that. But to grow our brand initially and to make it as cost effective as well for us, because obviously starting a business is super expensive, but this was the most cost effective way. And then it turned out to be the best strategy as well. Yeah. So it really worked both both ways. That's such good advice to start small so that there's the trust there before you start seeding out yeah. to the, the big guns. We've had some girls with 150,000 followers get not one sale. And we've had girls with mm-hmm. 6,000 followers get 10. Yeah, we've had some girl. We had we one. Had, we had one girl. Yeah. I, I, this is no word of a lie. She had ninety likes on the photo, and she sold us one hundred and sixty masks. There you go. So Amazing. she had more sales. Than likes. Yeah. 
I love hearing that. But you're spot on though, because like from a consumer perspective, I'll see people post a moisturizer one week, just using moisturizer as an example, saying this is the best product I've ever used. And then the following week, this moisturizer has yeah. changed my skin. I'm like, which one is exactly it? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. No idea. So the brand is it's about 18 months old, less than? No, 15. Less than like 15. 15. Oh yeah. my God. So it's it's an infant. So it's in an infant. Yeah, yeah. The grand scheme. It's of still being nurtured. We, we were on yeah. track. We were on <laughs> track to night. launch. We were on track to launch last like January two thousand eighteen, which was a soft launch. Yeah. By the time we really launched and started spending money, it was probably like March one. So yeah, it's been like yeah fifteen months or something. It's crazy. So that's a really small amount of time, but in terms of digital, it's it's a really long time because everything changes yeah, so quickly. Exactly. Particularly right. Instagram with its ever-changing algorithms how have you guys worked to kind of change and adapt your strategy Uh, in that time it's always testing the biggest thing about e-commerce that i've learned and um, from this experience so far is that you just have to continue to test Mm -hmm. whether it be content whether it be influencers whether it be uh, different people running your ads it's all about testing and you may you may test 10 things in one week and whatever works you you, could, you have to stick to that but we do stay on top of instagram's algorithms like we google it constantly mm-hmm. see what's going on around the world you know that they'll be la- they'll be launching something and testing something in canada if it works it may come to australia what are we going to do if that happens yeah. I think so you've always got to be on top of it uh, yeah what else we did as well when when the, when the algorithm <coughs> changed <coughs> when it wasn't um, showing posts in in um, by when they'll post it, I mean. Yeah. Like in terms of time. That was a fun twist. Yeah, that was a very mm. fun twist. What we did was we made sure that our Instagram was as interactive as possible because the more mm-hmm. people that interact, so the post gets shown to the people that, you know, interact with it, obviously. So our interaction now is pretty crazy. So that, that's what we, we made sure. So in every caption, we'd ask a question, tag someone who should buy this mask, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Or we'd post a photo and then post on the story and say, tag someone on our posts, mm-hmm. things like that. But you got to be on top of it because Instagram does release a lot of it. So if, yeah. you, if you read up on it and research, then you'll, f- you'll find out a lot. It's another good tip to be proactive about it because I feel sure. so many brands are reactive and don't really think about changing until yeah. it's already happened. What you said before was so true about how it's constantly changing, especially in digital. Mm. It's, so you, if you're not proactive, then you're not going to be able to move you're forward. You're left behind. Yeah. This is a pretty broad one and I feel like you've just answered it in the last question, but given how heavily saturated the beauty space is, how have you made sure that your brand and your products have, you know, stood apart from the rest? Because we work like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I no, can vouch for this as well. I honestly think it's because the product works yeah. and I honestly think it's because of um, our influencer strategy and the team that we have. Like, as James said, we've been through countless, countless, like, you know, f- people that run our Facebook ads, people that run our Snapchat ads, We've got like we've we've got the best of the best te- of the team working mm-hmm. for us now. We've got about fifteen girls that work for us that are like family to us. That's so like nice. they love the business as much as we love the business. So everyone's working as a team, and we're all just moving forward together. That's mm-hmm. probably the, the only reason why we're staying ahead of the. But Gemma, I think it's important not to get caught up in in how saturated the market is. Like if you start mm-hmm. to think. I'm in beauty. How am I going to compete with L'Oreal and Estee Lauder? Yeah. Then you're not going to be able to move forward. Like you just have to focus on what you're doing mm. and do it at the best that you think you can do. And that's it. And just focus on that. Because otherwise you just start to get too caught up. Oh, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, look what they can do. Look what they can offer for what prices. You can't, you can't really look at that. We just mm. focus on what we think we can do. And if we can offer a high quality product at an affordable price, then... We think we're doing something. We, right. we can also operate and and you know, action on things a lot quicker than big companies like that. 
a lot of these smaller brands that that's that's the main positive that we have. Like we can launch mm. product bang yeah. in the next three they months. They might take one year. L'Oreal yeah. has to go through so much more testing, different levels of management, mm. etc. Which is why these smaller brands can penetrate the market so mm. quickly. I think as well you can kind of like a, that aside you can use it to your advantage in the brands like l'oreal and estee they have customers who have been you know using their products for ages and there's a lot of brand loyalty there but then when you launch with you know one product or just a capsule collection it's way less intimidating to someone that's new to the brand because mm. they can just work it into an existing routine exactly so I feel like right. you're in an advantage there and that's why launching the mask on its by itself at first was great because yeah it was such a great product it's such a great product that most people who bought it absolutely loved it and then every product we've launched since they've also bought yeah. because they trust our brand they trust the product and they think well the mask was this great why wouldn't the moisturizer the exfoliator be yeah agreed so social media is obviously a real blessing for startups because you do have access to an audience that you just wouldn't be able to if you were doing like print media or just traditional marketing on a startup budget you've already shared a few of your tips but what would your advice be to anyone looking to grow their own brand not necessarily in the beauty space if they want to do that via social to stay on top of social media to stay on top of the the trends to stay on top of influencers and to keep being creative in terms of content um, even your even just even just little things to your Instagram page but I think the, the one thing that Manny said Manny and I said at the start was keeping your brand consistent. Yeah. Your brand has to be consistent from your Instagram page to your Facebook page to your packaging to your website to your website to all your creatives and all your content. Mm-hmm. Even if it's video content, it all has to be the same color, like not the same color, but you know what I mean, the same exact branding because that's what makes people trust your brand mm. where they see consistency and that's when they'll probably become loyal as well after a while. Yeah. So speaking of growth, you if my if my research serves me, you guys were at the $50,000 revenue mark in your first week post-launch. You'd made a million within four months and seven million over 14 months, which is just absurd. Even when you know that you're working with an amazing product, it's nearly impossible to predict that, you know, that's what you're going to make in such a short amount of time. So... How did you cope with that growth and with a product that was obviously in such high demand? Yeah, so basically I remember having this conversation with James and this is this is how me and James are. We're either all in or we're not in at all. Yeah. So when we were stock forecasting at the start, I literally said to James, I said, James, we're going to buy you know, 100,000 units. I don't care how much money it costs us because this is yeah. going to work. And if you truly believe in the product, I honestly believe that you can make anything work as long as the product works. Yeah. And it's a blessing that we did because, as you said, our revenue skyrocketed. It's crazy. And it's like, insane. Yeah. And, and the, the best part is, is that once you hit these winning ads on Facebook, coming back to what James said, test, test, test. Test as many videos as mm-hmm. you can. And once you hit those winners, like you can go from making 10 grand a day to 50 overnight. Mm-hmm. The scalability in e-commerce is just like absurd yeah but you have to again you have to make sure you have to make sure which i think manny and i have done really well is you have to make sure you don't get caught up in it you don't get we don't get caught up in the numbers mm-hmm. we don't get caught up in the money we get caught up in let's reinvest every single dollar we make and let's grow this business even more and more and that's our one goal from the start and i don't think we're going to stop until i don't know until we've got 20 products hopefully one day and that's exactly mm-hmm. what i just said like at the start me and james don't actually care about the money it's about growth we care about growing the business and, you know, growing our, our lines and going to new countries. Yeah. 
It's a very refreshing attitude. So you're both in your 20s. The brand is in its infancy. So I imagine, and you have mentioned you do have ambitions to grow to a full product range, which we will chat about. But I also was wondering, now that you know how to scale a business and how to grow a product to the size that it's at now, do you think that as a duo, you would ever launch more businesses together away from beauty? Yeah, we will eventually. But um, I'm a strong believer in... If something's working, stick with it. Yeah. Um, and it's in its infant stage. So when, you know, when a baby's born, you look after <laughs> and you care for it. You don't just leave it alone. So um, we've had plenty of offers from people that want us to, to you know, invest, help them out with their businesses. Mm-hmm. But we're just taking it one step at a time. And once we feel comfortable enough to venture out into something else, then we will. Yeah. yeah. We may. We, we, we've spoken about it a lot. And, you know, it may even be sometime this year, but... Like Manny said, you want to focus on this as much as you can because every single time we come to launching another business, we're like, we just feel like Elias skin just pulling us back, saying, "No, no, no, come back here!" Like, and yeah. it feel like it's not meant to be. I mean, so, the baby analogies are coming thick and fast as mm. I'm crying. <laughs> it starts crying as soon as we leave. Baby monitor ready to go. <laughs> so you do have physical stockists now, but I feel like at the core of Elias is a digital brand. So what have you found to be the pros and the cons of being? mostly digitally native the pros is the scalability yeah the revenue um how well you can target your audience mm-hmm. the only negative i guess would be the pro- the, the customer can't feel smell the product yeah um and they have to wait and the shipping three or four but days then again, our shipping is not yeah three or four days is so not a long time oh no no but that, that's in australia that's in the start like the start, it was a while. Uh, now, now our shipping's fine, our logistics, but at the start, we had so many headaches. Oh, so yeah. We had mm. customers waiting for 20 to 30 days yeah. and then you've got returns. But oh, to be honest with you, I honestly don't think there are many negatives mm-hmm. in being online. And I think that's why a lot of businesses are shifting online. Yeah. Like retail is very good for your brand and um, it's, I, good, it's good to be in brick and mortar stores. Yeah. But I think digital, if you're going to launch a business, I would start at a digital, mm-hmm. build the brand and then go into brick and mortar. Yes, yeah, so whereas I get more of a thrill from retail, like being in 10,000, 20,000 stores. Yeah. Like someone like Bondi Sands, is that's what I dream about. Like I think that is just an amazing achievement. Yeah. Because your brand is just everywhere in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, so someone like Bondi Sands, they may walk, you may walk into a price line and they've got like seven different positions, ten different positions. Yeah. And I and you look at you walk into you walk into a store. Makes you feel proud. Yeah, exactly right. So mm-hmm. when you when you walk when we walk into Priceline, even yesterday we walked in, we just saw that our product had moved from the middle shelf to the top shelf, and we we're like, like it's just such a proud moment. Like we just and it was just one store, but when you walk into that store and you see your brand on on shelves, it's an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. And what, I, sorry, what I was saying is that it's very hard to launch a brand straight into retail yeah, for because sure. no one will take you on because you need to know that people don't know what your brand is. You know, you yeah, need to have, you need have, have evidence that it's going to yeah. sell. Yeah, that's exactly so right. So we've used. If we're going to give uh, any tips to any of the listeners, then I would mm-hmm. ass- I would give them a tip of using social media to launch into retail. Yeah. So use your social media presence to enable you to get that meeting with the buyer. Yeah. Capture the attention of yeah. the buyers mm-hmm. and I think, price line, yeah. etc. Cool. That's, that's all. Tip that yeah, that's all we've done. Sound well. advice. So you have been picked up by Priceline and Harehouse now, which is yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. How has that changed the way that you run the business? So the business is set up in two ways now. So we have a wholesale business and we have a online business. Mm-hmm. So we have distribution with Frostland, mm-hmm. who's one of the biggest, well, the biggest distributor in Australia. 
So they deal with all our distribution in Australia. So um, what our goal is, is to, you know, James and I pretty much map out the top five countries that we want to be in for the year. Mm -hmm. We'll work and try and find the best distributor in each of those countries. We'll partner with them. And then they take over exclusivity for those stores. Nice. And that allows us to focus on bringing in revenue online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because ultimately that's all we want. We want to have an exclusive distributor in every country. And that mm. way they can they can um, market our product and help us market our product in that certain country. And they've got all the retail connections. Yeah. So obviously Manny and I would be very hard for us to mm. get a meeting with a buyer in you know, America or UK or China, whereas yeah. the distributors have already got those retail connections. Also, these guys, like, for example, now we're in around 1,500 stores. Like, James and I aren't going to sit there and try and chase 1,500 invoices that yeah. every I time they order. Thought, <laughs> no, definitely not. I'd be going crazy. I struggle so. to chase, like, two invoices. <laughs> and even just trying to launch into the pharmacies, like, Priceline is one thing where if you're in one, usually you're in about 300. Mm -hmm. But all these independent pharmacies, like Frostman, have got their salespeople on the road constantly trying right. trying to speak to the owners and get us in so you've since launched two products beyond the clay masks so you've got a moisturizer and an exfoliant when you first launched was that always the plan or were you listening to what the customers wanted and then going from there yeah so what we did is um and this is another tip for the listeners what we do is we create a, a private facebook group mm -hmm. i think ours is called Elias skin superstars or something like yeah. that so it's so after someone orders we invite them to the group um and once we hit about 10,000, oh, sorry, 5,000 members, um, we pretty much ask the, ask the customers what they want us to release. Mm -hmm. But then again, our products are a one, two, three-step process. So it's exfoliate, mask, moisturize. Mm -hmm. So they all work in a way, well, sorry, they all work together to complement yeah. each other. And our next product, which we won't say much about, it's coming out in the next two months. Oh, that's soon. Um, yeah, we, we just, well, that's on the way here, actually. I was on the phone mm -hmm. to the packaging supplier finalising it. <laughs> um, that'll be the, the first step. So yeah. there'll be one, two, three, four steps. Ah, that's a good hint. So you guys can try and guess what it is. But I'll make sure this is out before then because <laughs> this is going to be a real bad interview. <laughs> the product's been out for a month and yeah, they're like, yeah, all yeah. right. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> okay, so that's what's coming next. We've talked about how digital has changed and is changing, but let's talk about how the beauty industry is changing. What do you guys think we can expect to see from the industry as a whole over the next, let's say, two years? I feel as if more and more people are going to start launching beauty businesses. Mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel that Instagram and Facebook are making it so much easier for anyone to launch their own business yeah for anyone to see what's trending and to put their own twist on it mm -hmm. so for instance just our pink clay mask alone since we've launched there have been a lot of other pink clay masks that have come out after us yes but <laughs> they haven't been they haven't been exactly the same like everyone's yeah. got their own twist and i think it's a good thing like i think i think that it's just so we're so lucky that you can be 17 18 mm. start a business from home not have to cost you you know, so much money, you know, you could probably do it for less than 30, 40,000. Yeah. And you get to work from home. Like it doesn't get any better than that. Mm -hmm. And I think people will just put their own twist on what's going on already. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a shift towards vegan and animal cruelty-free products. Yeah, for sure. Yes. And I just touched on what James said, like with these new mm -hmm. pink clay mask brands propping up, we actually love it because it's bringing more people to the market, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. means that we can sell to more people. So competition isn't always a bad thing. So you should never see it as, you know, yeah. as always a negative. So many pearls of wisdom in here. Okay, so that's what's next for the beauty industry. Aside from this sneaky new product that we can't say anything else about, what's next for Elias Skin? 
more big influencers. Yeah, and more retail distribution for sure. So mm. we just signed a deal with UK distributor. Mm. Um, we're launching into 300 odd Jean Coutu stores in Quebec, which is in wow. um, Canada. So that yeah. will be exciting. And then hopefully we're launching into another 500 to 1,000. Yeah, there's a few more. Yeah. A few, we don't, we don't <laughs> want to say the name. We, we shouldn't say the names just yet, but there, there's more. You're like yeah, yeah. something filmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we'll be, yeah. But yeah, so that, that's, what, that's what we want to do. And we're, we might be signing a deal with, oh, we've signed deals with Middle East as well. So that'll be exciting. So the, our aim is to be in 4,000 to 3,000 to 4,000 stores by the end of the year. At the moment, we're at about 1,500. So that's exciting. That was Manny Barbas and James Hashem. Founders of Elias Skin, which you can find on Instagram at Elias Skin Oz. To read my interview with James and Manny, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.